We've not got any preamble, have we? Never do. <laughs> God, we're crap. <clears throat> you might be. I might be. No, I might be, but I'm not. I am. I always am. Crap. You are. I'm. Yes, you are. I'm crap. I am. Crap. You sound like bizarro. I Me, am crap. I'm crap. Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey, kids, comics. I'm telling you, my spider sense is tingling. Amazing Spider-Man number one two nine mint condition. Worth a thousand bucks. Comic book. No, it's not just a comic book. This is the first appearance of the Punisher. Sorry to interrupt, Willow, but it's the fat signal. How do I get it to work? Willpower, like the Green Lantern's ring. You call comic books. That's so cute. Cute. It's very rugged and manly. Just a bit cute, huh? I think it's sweet. It must be really hard when all your friends have like superpowers. You must feel like Jimmy Olsen. You can't charge innocent people for saving their lives. Spider-Man does. Action is his reward. Hey, kids, comics. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to Hey Kids Comics Civil War Part Duh, as the French say. Um, couple of little bits of business. The French say Duh. Yeah. <laughs> this is the language of the love is the French language, but duh. we count by saying Duh. Oh God. Duh. Quatorze. Sans, six, sept, neuf, neuf. Trois. Neuf. Neuf di. That was our French. That was. We are multilingual, <laughs> aren't we? We are. That would get us somewhere in France, that would. Would it? Yes. <laughs> Probably arrested. <laughs> oh, off the rails at a minute in. Excellent. First off, we've got a letter. We have got a letter. A proper paper letter. The bar has been set high now. The bar has been... So I can't touch it. That's how high the letter is. We received a parcel we did. in the post yes. from Christopher J. Warden. Yes. It was lovely. I like receiving parcels that don't have windows in them mm-hmm. because that normally means they're bills. This was not a bill. Bills come in parcels. Big bills. <laughs> Big bills do. This letter says Andy and Michael. Hello, fellow comic book fanboys. How's everyone? Well, we're all fine here well, now. We'd ask everyone else, but. They're elsewhere. They're elsewhere, but we're okay, aren't yes, we? So are. that's all that matters to us. How are you, Chris? I have sent these comics to you both as a small gratitude for all the entertainment you have brought me, and in turn, my family. I have this this idea that he lets his family listen to this. <laughs> he forces <laughs> his family to listen yeah, to I, I, it. Like Clockwork <laughs> Orange. <laughs> As instead of pinning his eyes back, he pins their ears back to their head and makes them listen. Well, I had the image where they're all, Please, Daddy, can we listen to those two <laughs> funny British men? Now, nah, if you finish your tea, I might just let you listen for ten minutes. <laughs> we're, the, we're the carrot that gets them to bed at night. That would be awesome. Chris, Chris's kids are like, please let us listen to the funny, for the funny accented men, Daddy. And his dad's like, all right, all right. All the funny voices that make them rush to bed and hide under the sheets at night. <laughs> Maybe that's the other side of it. Maybe yeah. he uses us to scur them to bed. <laughs> I can totally buy that. You don't go to sleep, you'll get funny accents like them. No, Daddy, I'll go to bed. <laughs> 
Should we read on and see if this is the case? Let's read on. Okay. My family doesn't listen. Oh! But I share the stories with them. Well, that's good enough, isn't it? Second best. Second best, yeah. The Superman series, Happy Birthday Superman, was the best podcasting I had the pleasure to listen to. Well, that's high prayers. That is. We appreciate that. Happy Birthday Superman was a labour of love. It was hard work. Uh, and I don't think we could do something that intensive every week. But God damn, I enjoyed doing it while we were doing it. And it's gratifying that people say stuff like that. So thank you very much, Chris. We do appreciate it. Hearing your enjoyment that you get from Superman comics, I know these comics will provide more and that they are in good hands. Superman Family 186 is for Andy. Yes, because Superman Family is quite hard to get hold of over here for a decent price. I don't know why. It's not as rare as Batman Family. But it's still quite rare. The other four are for Michael. I remember one episode him saying how much he liked the debut of the new Superman. Your friend, Chris. Thank you very much, Chris. Mm -hmm. We did appreciate it. I've not seen these comics yet. Have you not seen them? No. Oh, I'll show them you later on. Just because you got the parcels out. I got the parcel and whipped them. Whoa, these are mine, dude. And I did not know they were yours until I read the letter. So Mm -hmm. I will will pass them on. You can rip the posters out and put them on your wall. Of my old ones, not the new ones that Chris has sent us. Because I only had the new stand reign of the Superman. Mm. Not the cardboard covered ones. So you could put the posters on your wall of my old ones. That would be awesome. Yeah. I would, but your mum won't let me. <laughs> P.S. Is this your first handwritten letter? Um, I think so. Uh, do you know? Second. Who sent us a handwritten letter? I can't remember, but it was when you got um, the copy of Spider-Man without any boobs on it. Yes, so Sean Engel sent us the first handwritten letter. Yeah. Sean Engel sent me Amazing Spider-Man 252. Uh, a, a, a feat of gratitude I've never really truly been able to, to pass on my appreciation of. I told him how much it was great, but yeah. I, I don't think it really... Do you remember when I opened that? I yeah. bounced around the room. So, second handwritten letter, Chris, but it's still, you know, still only the second one. We like getting them. Yeah, we do. They're very good. Yeah, because Mike barely types his letters, doesn't he? Yeah. Because he, he, he's like, my handwriting sucks. Does he have, one of the, does he have like a, a digital signature as well? That would be awesome. It with a big Superman shield in it. <laughs> yeah. That would be brilliant. P.S. Sorry about the penmanship. There's nothing wrong with the penmanship, dude. I could read it. So as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing wrong with that. Thank you, Chris. That was very much appreciated. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not, nothing better than receiving free comics in the post. <laughs> Especially free comics in the post you didn't know were coming. Yeah. That's even better. I want you to have to queue up for. Yeah, awesome. So, anyway, yeah, so thank you very much to Christopher for that. That was much appreciated. We liked your handwritten letter. We hope you enjoy sharing this story with your children. Yeah. That would be fun. Uh, emails tonight. Our first email is from Rob Stubbs. It's called Oh No Politics. Are we going to have to edit this email? <laughs> Salutations to you, Michael Andrew, Mrs. Leyland, and the other Leylands in the house. The other Leylands, we don't care to name. The other that are irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the history stuff, Andrew, and do not fast-forward through it like your eldest son suggested. Good. I'm glad. 2000 AD is something I've read in bits and pieces, and I know Judge Dredd. These are the characters I might have read about, but I don't remember. The invasion savage goes back to being a taxi driver who then kills dirty, rotten, no-tipping customers. <laughs> Flesh with the time-travelling train, they clearly stole from Doc Brown, where the dinosaurs are more sympathetic than the humans. Sounds like a standard nature is great, while humans are an unnatural disease on the planet. I suggest we take all those people who say how wonderful nature is, put them in a time machine, and drop them off to make friends with the dinosaurs. And when I say friends, I clearly mean a tasty dinner snack with dinosaur ease. I will not go into a rant how annoying I find the attitude of how wonderful nature is while simultaneously deploring human beings. Well, I suppose technically we are part of nature. Yeah. And some of us are great. Yeah. 
Harlem's heroes, with the four survivors, realize they are living on borrowed time, it becomes the challenge of the unknown to devote their borrowed time to exploring the universe or win the big game. Meh, this story doesn't sound very interesting. As like you, Andrew, I'm not that interested in team sports, even though I do watch the odd basketball game or hockey game or MMA fighters bout. Dan Durr, a.k.a. Buck Rogers, is defrosted to fight evil aliens. Not interested in that, really, either. The early Durr stuff's good. The 50s Durr stuff and Garth Ennis's. Well worth checking out. The interesting thing is if you go back and read some of the books from the 30s, 40s and 50s, you'll find these ideas and concepts already done. Meaning that all the people running around today, and by today I mean who started in the 70s, claiming that their ideas have been ripped off, are actually ripping off those ideas from mostly dead authors. Which is a good point. Yeah. Nothing's original, is it? Not Everything's not. been done before. I don't have a rant about this, continues Rob, except in how amazing it is that so much we accept today is established by people long ago. Which is very true. Probe, aka Mach 1, the super spy altogether as a series, sounds interesting. It was, I like, I like Mach 1. I'm Probe. John Probe. Sounds wrong though. No, it's not as good as Bond. James Bond, is it? No. It's not, it's not really up there. you name well, Mrs. McChesticles. <laughs> I'm Probe. John Probe. Booby McChesticles. <laughs> I will go on a limb and say by interrogation they meant that they asked the Russian a question three times and he gives up the information or the really rough stuff like putting a pair of panties on his head or having a dog come round and bark at him. <laughs> that would be touch. Just a dog that doesn't shut up. A yippy one. Yeah, one of those little yippy ones. Now we get to the Judge Dredd. The early years with the robot who was a carpenter who leads a revolution against the existing power structure. I guess we're lucky Dredd didn't decide to crucify him on a crossbeam with no specific meaning in mind. I like Dredd because he represents the idea of furnace taken to its real conclusion. He treats everyone equally under the existing power structure and doesn't make exceptions in the enforcement of the law. Asimov's three laws of robotics are quite interesting as in his later years he did a story called Foundation and Earth where the xenophobic Silurians had redefined what humans meant to the robots so they could kill anyone not meeting that definition. So there was no conflict to the three laws. There was also the Xeroth law. A robot may not harm humanity, or by an action allow humanity to come to harm. I've never heard of Axe Cop. i never read Axe Cop. I think this kid, Malachi Nickel, could have written a more coherent overall plotline for Lost, at least based on what I heard. If you don't go into this with any hope of coherence of an overarching plan, or hoping it'll make any kind of sense, this was kind of amusing. I hope that Flute Cop doesn't accidentally touch a sanitary napkin with blood on it. It might turn into something very unfortunate. <laughs> Michael was just drinking then, so you made him laugh. <laughs> just as he was taking a big swig. Once a month, cop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, regarding the top Superman stories, I'm shocked. Shocked that once again the two more stories are number two and number one. It's like it's written in blood somewhere that these stories are enshrined in those spots. It's not that the stories are good, or that I dislike the stories, but can't something replace it? I disagree that anyone can write a good final story. Some people can't. I point to Lost, Magnum P.I. and Jag. I like the end of Magnum. How does it end? It brings it full circle. Does he die again? No, 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 no. He doesn't die again. Oh, does he like... Does, does he Robin... goes back in the Navy. I was going to say, does Robin come back and then he moves Well, he out? thinks that Higgins is Robin Masters. Right. Over the course of the series, we learn that Magnum was married in Vietnam. Okay. Okay? He thinks that his, his wife that he married in Vietnam is dead. But right. it turns out that she's not dead and they get back together again. Okay. During the course of the storyline, he ends up impregnating his wife, which right. is perfectly acceptable. But then she has to go again because she's actually deep undercover. Right. She's a spy, you see. Okay. Later on, she's in danger and she's had a daughter. Right. Magnum's daughter. Okay. She is later killed. The daughter or? The, the wife. Right. But Magnum saves the daughter. 
Okay. But he fails to save the wife. He later goes out and assassinates the guy who killed his wife. Okay. In one of the best episodes of the series. Right. Like, screw this due process <laughs> drivel. He gets a sniper's rifle, puts a bullet in his head. So that's fair enough. So the series ends with him taking responsibility for his daughter, and therefore, to give her a proper life, he goes back to the Navy to get it to give her so he's got a job and blah, blah, blah. Right. That's how the series ends. Because the premise of the series was he woke up one morning and realised he was 33 and he'd never been 23. He'd gone straight from high school into the Naval Academy, straight from the Naval Academy to Nam. Mm. So he'd never had his 20s. And the whole point of Magnum P.I. the show is that's him having his 20s in his 30s. Yeah. So all the no responsibility and just dicking around and he never has any money and he's not bothered and his fridge only has beer in. Mm. He's doing his 20s. So the end of the series is he's matured. He's now got a child that he has to look after and he goes back in the Navy. I like, like the end. decent ending. I thought one. that was quite a good ending. I never saw the end in the Jag, because I never really watched Jag. And Lost was crap. Lost went crap after series two, in retrospect. Uh, as this is the end of whatever Andrew's calling it this time, continues Rob, there are whole sets of comics that they could have picked one, such as Challenges of the Unknown, Blackhawk, Sea Devils, House of Mystery, House of Secrets, Pinky in the Brain. What? <laughs> Pinky in the Brain? Mystery in Space, Strange Adventures, and Weird War Tales. Um, well... No more superheroes are, but it's not going to superhero in it, or whatever I called it. Mm-hmm. It's two weeks ago now, I forgot. Um, went down quite well. Yeah. Because there's always this thing that we have that if we cover superheroes, the figures aren't always as good. Because mm. by and large, we like our superheroes and so do the listeners. But this one seems to have gone down quite well. So I think we will be dipping our waters into more esoteric dipping areas. Our waters. Dipping our toes into more esoteric waters. Right. Is what I meant to say <laughs> in the future. So we, we may very well do some some of those stuff that you suggest. Mm-hmm. The only problem with that is we would be going blind. Yeah. Because we don't really. I've not really read any of them. I've read some weird war tales. Have you? When uh, Vertigo did them. Right. So, but there's something to be said for doing something you know nothing about. On the one hand, I don't have to write a big historical intro. There is that. <laughs> Licensed series continues, Robber, a mixed bag as you have to deal with the owners, who might be jerks or nice guys, depending on who it is. And also the fact that the next movie, book, TV, whatever, can totally wreck whatever you build up story-wise. Aliens Earth Angel reads like a 50s science fiction movie with the build-up, the chase, the aliens attack, and so forth. The ending, with no one knowing anything at all, is perfectly in keeping with that tradition. Yeah, I think that was the the thing, wasn't it? It was a 50s sci-fi movie with alien in it. Mm. I'm totally down with the Grease Aliens merger. I think we should get backers for a TV pilot, Graylians. There will be singing, dancing, knife battles and so forth as the story goes forth and the sequel, Saturday Night Aliens Fever. <laughs> we can get it on sci-fi for sure. Well, some of those sci-fi channel original movies. Yeah. They'll, I think they'll own Graylians. Perhaps Malachi Nicole can be the screenwriter. <laughs> no, we want it to make a bit of sense. Remember to get into adding a scene where the hero goes to the cranky Wayne dance instructor to learn the secret battle at dance for the aliens' final battle. <laughs> I would go and fight those aliens, but I'm too angsty and I have to dance in an abandoned factory. Lose. <laughs> Andrew, there is a Time Cop movie, which is okay. Yeah, it's John Claude Van Damme, I'm very good. The director DV Time Cop 2, no Van Damme in this one, is okay. And there is a nine episode ABC TV series, Time Cops. Which is meh, explaining why it's just nine episodes. I didn't know it was a TV series. In fact, Time Cop 2 without Jean Claude Van Damme may be better than the first one. Uh, Michael is Ben Kenobiing again. 
But I agree with him that at least the first part of Planetary is not a superhero comic book. They have powers, but they aren't superheroes. I remember seeing issue 5 or 6 and picking it up when waiting for new issues to come out, which didn't happen, so I lost interest. Ten years to finish 27 issues is one of the reasons people stop buying comics, as people stop being able to keep schedules. Yeah, that is a bit much, isn't it? There's a part of me that's glad I've only discovered it when it's finished. I think waiting for a new issue of that would have been infuriating. It brings up an interesting discussion in what makes a superhero book and what doesn't qualify. I'm all over the place, as it can be hard to quantify. Green Lantern is a duly appointed space sector enforcement agent by Owens, so from one perspective his book can be considered a space cop series. But on the other perspective, he's a member of the Justice League, which clearly makes him a superhero. Batman, who doesn't have superpowers, is also a member of the Justice League, so you can't say powers make someone a superhero. Hmm. Green Lantern Corps, done in the manner of the Hill Street Blues television show, is now an idea in my head. That would be a good idea, as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, that would be awesome. Where everyone wears the uh, uniforms rolled up. With the sleeves rolled up. One of them has a pet crocodile. I like the issue, anyway, with the supernatural elements, the ghost cop, the gunfu woo scenes, and so forth, proving once again that not every story has to be set in New York City to be interesting. The views expressed by the dead cop of this life being all there is are directly contradicted much later in the series. I think Mark Miller has realised that he can be at his best not just being a good writer, unlike Morrison Ellis, and has focused his efforts on making money. I think this realisation has made him bitter towards the people who didn't like his work when he was trying to be an excellent writer. Again, this is my subjective opinion, only as I've never met the man and don't scan the internet or read magazines to find out all the personal stuff. Morrison is an excellent writer, but he gets wrapped up in playing with the meta of the story to the detriment of the story itself, so his work always suffers from that, making it merely good a lot of the time, or meh. Alice is an excellent writer and can put aside his cynical nature if it's hurting the story he's crafting, and isn't fascinated by just playing with the meta idea of storytelling. I don't agree with his politics, generally speaking, but his stories are good. I don't know what his politics are, do you? Oh, okay. Who would be your choices for a planetary movie as cast and director? Ooh. Well, we mentioned Seth Green as the drummer. Do you think he's a bit old now? Or do you think he could still pull it off? Alright. He's um, a robot chicken every week, I'm sure he's not grown old yet. Yeah. Um, if we're casting with a time machine, George Peppard is Elijah Snow. I think he'd be an excellent Elijah Snow. Okay. But if we're casting now, I think he'd probably have to go for Clooney, wouldn't you? George Clooney is Elijah Snow, do you think? Really? He's got the charm and the grey hair. I don't know that he's got the, the attitude. Yeah. What do you think? Who would you go for as Elijah Snow? I have no idea. Not Keanu Reeves? No, not Keanu Reeves. No. Not Whoa, look at that. Yeah. Ghost car. Yeah, we're not having Keanu. Excellent. Uh, Jaquita Wagner. Rachel Nichols from Continuum. Okay. You just like Continuum. I just like Rachel Nichols. <laughs> Um, director. director? Oh, dear me. See, I don't know with that one, because you, you would want somebody who could handle the wow factor, but at the same time, he's got to be able to handle the character stuff. I mean, it's, it's predictable to say Joss Whedon. I don't want J.J. Abrams anywhere near it. <laughs> um, oh, see, I don't know director-wise. Mm. I don't know about that. I'd have to think about that. I would have to ponder this a great deal as I don't pay attention to Hollywood, says Rob. Well, we pondered it as well. Do I have to read Constantine or can I wing it? <laughs> wing it? We do, free colour. Yeah. I listen to both podcasts back to back for the second time to write this email. So if it's too long or too short, I blame George Lucas. Until next time, your American pal Robert signing off. Well, thanks, Bob. He's not Bob, is he? He's R.L. Stubbs. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much for emailing in. We do appreciate it. Rob emails in almost every week. Mm-hmm. And we don't mention it. 
we don't. So we should. We should. Because he's always the. We should give him a, a status. How oh, we should give him a, an intro similar to uh, our next. Should we? Should we give him an intro like we, we do for um, segueing it in? Like for our face, very good. I'm very impressed. Some say mm-hmm. that his comic book collection is made purely of romance magazines, <laughs> and that he is in love with that young woman on that TV show that I don't remember the name. Of. That was no word in it. <laughs> I was actually going to say, and that he, he has an, an un... Should I say it again? Go on. Okay. And that he has an unrequited crush on Jenna Von Oy from Blossom. All we know is he's called Luke Giaconetti. <laughs> I don't know where Jenna Von Oy came from. <laughs> Did you just make that up? No, no, that she's a real pupil of six in Blossom. She is a real actress, but I don't know where it came. I don't know where Blossom just came. Just thinking of people. Yeah, I was just thinking of obscure actors that he could have a crush on. And Jenna Von Oy came into my head. I don't know why. The um, subject heading is forget skeletons. Any aliens hiding in the closet? Greetings, brave pliers of the genre street. Oh, I do not like that. Pliers of the genre stream. That would make us like the challenges of the unknown. It would. That's awesome. I like that. I like Are we living off borrowed genres? <laughs> yes, like the pulps. Yeah. Genres that don't exist anywhere. I'm totally the secret ingredient is pulp. Well, this was an interesting perv, says Luke. Aliens and planetary. Well, that's the beauty of genre comics. They are all, in fact, come from different genres. Shocking, I know. My brother was big into Dark Horse's licensed comics from this era, but he leaned more towards Predator and the Terminator than Aliens. I've read a few series, but not nearly enough for my taste. I need to start getting those digest-sized omnibus books which they put out. One series I do remember is Aliens Rogue, which dealt with the creation of a powerful king alien. Yeah, I read that one. I read Aliens Rogue. I remember it being good. I've not read it since it came out. The placement of an alien story in the midst of a 1950s B-movie creature feature is very amusing to me, because Alien itself is a reworking of a 1950s B-movie creature feature. It, the terror from beyond space, despite its silly title, is a superlative little sci-fi thriller, and the story from Alien is essentially taken directly from it. Ridley Scott has pretty much cocked to this, but as the story itself is so basic, it's not a point fans complain about, rather it has helped the visibility of it. Instead, the alien in It was played by legendary Hollywood Western heavy and man-in-a-suit Ray Crash Corrigan and is one of the most well-liked monsters from the era with modern enthusiasts. I've seen it, the Terror from Elm Space, I and I remember enjoying it. Do they get attacked by a, a, a clown alien? <laughs> Pennywise, the Terror from Beyond Space. <laughs> oh, I do like that idea. <laughs> and I love the name Ray Crash Corrigan. Yeah, that's a challenger of the unknown name, isn't it? <laughs> that's awesome. Regarding Time Cop, continues Lou, believe it or not, it actually started out as a comic and then was adapted into a film. One more Dark Horse property which made it to the big screen. The movie's no great shakes, but hey, at least it got made. I've never read Planetary, but I've heard a lot of good things about it from others whose opinions I value. I agree with your guy's take on Warren Ellis as a writer. He brings a passion to his work because he seems to write about stuff that he's interested in. But at the same time, he does take some digs at his audience and taking the mick out of the subject matter. Not to the level of Mark Miller, but sometimes it shows up. 
On his six-issue run of Iron Man, which, despite only being six issues, essentially sets off a decade worth of Iron Man stories, he does give some flack to the old-school Iron Man story engine, but at the same time brings a ton of research and work to the story and creates something truly unique in Extremis. So unique, in fact, that nearly every writer who worked on it afterwards got it wrong, most prominently Brian Michael Bendis in Secret Invasion and Matt Fraction in the early stages of his Invincible Iron Man run. Despite that the, the former is supposedly the guy who knows everything about the Marvel Universe and the latter is supposed Supposedly Marvel's smartest guy in the room. He may be Marvel's smartest guy in the room, Luke. He's possibly not as smart as Warren Ellis. There is that a... may be where the problem came extre- from. You know where extremists came from? No. Uh, Warren Ellis was like reading a book or browsing the internet or something. And came across um, something that said your brain remembers what your skin and body looks like. So, despite the fact that you can't regrow limbs, your body would remember how to. Really? Your mind would remember how to, yeah. Right, that's interesting. So that's where his idea for extremists came from. He just extrapolated that real-life idea and put a science fictional element to it. Yep. Excellent. No, I did not know that. That's fascinating. Very, very good. Be that as it may, concludes Luke, the story left an impression on me as to Ellis's strengths as a writer, and I shall probably seek out some more of his work to give it a try. Thanks for doing this series on genre shows. I really enjoyed getting away from the superhero set for a while. Keep up the great work, dude, Luke. Well, thank you very much, Luke. We're glad you enjoyed it. We kept away from the superhero set again a couple of weeks ago with Hellblazer. Yep. Don't know if you've ever read Hellblazer, Luke, but we do recommend it. But then we're firmly back in superhero dom this week. But as I say, we're going to dip our toes out of the superhero waters a bit more, seeing as that seemed to go down well. This time. This time. Our final email tonight, which I'm going to read because it's the only one we've got. I know we're coming up in 25 minutes, but it's not a particularly long one. Which I know will come as a surprise to you because it's from Michael Bailey. Mm -hmm. Hey, Mike! But it's not got superheroes in it, is the title. Greetings to two northerners from a southerner that was raised a northerner, but not the same type of northerner as you all. Lots of countries have enough. Yes, lots of countries have enough. Uh, Sorry I haven't written lately. Well, you've been a bit busy, Mike. We forgive you. I have been meaning to, continues Michael, but life... Well, life didn't so much get in the way as crash the party like a drunk frat boy looking for another keg. It's not welcome and it smells like ass. Anyway, I've enjoyed your recent series of somewhat superhero-less comics. While superheroes are my bread and butter when it comes to comics and the genre, I prefer that they are just a genre and not the be-all, end-all of the art form. They might be the end-all, be-all on an economic front, but that's an argument for another time. I rarely travel outside of my superhero comfort zone when it comes to comics, but I'm usually rather pleased when I do. To be honest, unless it's about the adventures of a serial paedophile, I'll read just about any comic, or at the very least give it a chance. Heck, there's a collection of DC romance comics on my bookshelf I picked up a year ago, so I'm open to new experiences, though I'm not always in the mood for it. Looks like we gave the wrong email the wrong opening. We did. Um, I used to work in a high school. And I, I used to go to a high school. Used to go to, so who says we don't have anything in common? Do you read from left to right as well? I do, yeah. Wow. Um, and there was an English teacher there who I would talk to because she was quite impressed by how well read I was. Mm-hmm. I never had that to tell her. I just knew a lot of Shakespeare because I, I watched a lot of Star Trek. She thought I knew a lot of Shakespeare. But anyway, that's beside the point. And she once said to me, you're not bothered what the medium that the story is delivered in. You're a fan of good stories. And that always stuck with her, that, because it's like, she's right. If something's good, I don't really care what genre it is. I mean, it has to be genre. I'm not interested in true stories by and large. I like it being couched in science fiction 
or fantasy to a lesser extent of superheroes or detective fiction as you know yeah but there has to be a genre element to it but if it's a good story well told I'll pretty much read it and I'll read it in a comic or I'll read it in a book or I'll watch it on TV or a film or whatever as long as it's good I don't think it matters Mm. but that's just me Michael's email continues. Quick aside, in reading that collection of romance books, I've come to the conclusion that when it comes to an anthology romance title, there are about five or six plots that get recycled over and over again. Reading that book became exhausting, and eventually I got to the point where I would read two or three stories and then have to stop, so that whatever filter in my brain that puts up with monotony would clear out and be ready to accept more. It was an experience and not one I would recommend. Um, to be honest, Mike... If they've got five or six plots, they're doing very well. (laughs) I mean, think about it. The 83 plots, at most. Mm -hmm. Managed to get a five-year run out of that, dude. Yeah. Um, Name me another TV show. No idea. Six million dollar man. Essentially the same plot every week. Yeah. Managed to get a five-year run out of that. Magnum. 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 I would go Magnum didn't have the same plot every week. That's why Magnum still holds up today. For the majority of it? No, even the cases of the week tended to be slight. There was occasions, yes, where there was an episode and you'd go, they did this on Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. That kind of thing. The original Battlestar. If you go, this is a western every week, yeah. Yeah. Find find a new place, new place blows up. Yeah, Uh, considering they were the last surviving humans, they certainly found a lot of planets with humans on them. Yeah. So yeah, so if they've got five or six plots, they're doing well. The Incredible Hulk TV show, two plots. Well, what would the five or six plots be? Is it like guy meets girl? Yeah. Girl meets guy. Guy girl meets girl. Guy meets guy. So that's four. <laughs> um, then the threesome plot. Yeah. And then the wife swapping plot. Yeah. Six. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Whereas the Incredible Hulk, two plots. <laughs> five-year run of a series out of that. story, Banner story. No, 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 it was even simpler than that. Banner would either roll up in a town and or be already working at a town and or stumble into a town inadvertently where he would either run into a pretty girl who was A, in trouble in some way with mobsters or B, in trouble in some way with somebody else in town or, plot B, Banner would be working on a cure. Okay. In both cases, the Hulk would show up and stop everything, or fix everything. Two plots, five-year run. <laughs> Gift. Whilst exploring other genres on my own and hearing you all do it has taught me that, that for me as a reader or viewer, it doesn't matter what medium storytellers choose to tell their story in. As long as the characters grab me, I will follow it for as long as my short attention span will allow. It doesn't matter if it's Battlestar Galactica or Invincible or Sergeant Fury and his howling commandos or Sergeant Rock. If I get emotionally involved with the characters, I'm pretty much all in. So in the end, the genre is important, but it can sometimes not matter. On the other hand, there's something to be said for just having fun. There are a lot of fantastic points raised over the last couple of weeks, but the one that made me kind of chuckle was when Andy pointed out that, at the heart, alien stories are pretty much all the same. And yet people keep going back and mining the concept in different settings. And we keep reading these stories, or watching those movies, and I think we do that because something about that concept gave us a charge that we want to relive. Even though the aliens in the Alien series aren't exactly characters in terms of having personality, they do provide a level of comfort. I know that sounds odd, but to make two comparisons that are rather salacious, this sort of storytelling is either like doing drugs or watching porn. (laughs) Stay with me here! (laughs) I've read in numerous places that most drug addicts are, at heart, trying to chase the first high that got them addicted in the first place. Also, people watch porn for a very specific reason that has nothing to do with characters and plot. You don't feel for the pool boy's day today's struggle or wonder if the pizza delivery guy is going to make his rent that month. So while there is a part
part of me that will always want a solid story and a good foundation of character or plot to follow, there is also a part of me that just wants to chase that high concept, like Alien first gave me. And to a large extent, I'm watching it to see a very specific thing. Now, to be fair, I'm not watching Alien for the same thing that I would theoretically watch Pawn to see, because that's just an awful concept to consider. But the theory is still sound. Well, yeah, going back to, to The Incredible Hulk, two plots, I watch it every week. Yeah. I enjoy it every week. Two plots. <laughs> and Alien, yeah, and um, James Bond. It's the same Pretty plot. much, it, the James Bond I love the James Bond films. It's pretty much the same film every time. It's in a different location. Yeah, I mean, they've started mixing it up a bit with Daniel Craig, but for the most part... By turning the lights off. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but, but for the most part, it's the same plot. Yeah. Pretty much. Doesn't mean I don't enjoy watching it. And you go to a Bond film and you want to see a tuxedo. And you want to see a casino scene. And you want to hear Bond. James Bond. And you want to hear Walter PPK. And you want to hear Put It Away 007. Or something like that. Yeah. Pay attention to 007. You want to see the car do cool stuff. I think if you're a writer that can work in formula, but make that formula fresh every time, you're an excellent writer. Yeah. It's my opinion. But that's just me. Anyway, time to stop talking about porn, as I'm sure it's starting to make me look rather suspect. (laughs) Only a little, Michael. (laughs) On a very serious note, I really want you to read this, despite the fact I think you would cut it out, thinking it was too personal. Alright, we'll read it for you, Mike. I want to thank both Andy and Michael for being part of the support crew that's helped me get through a rather rough patch recently. My wife was in a rather serious car accident at the beginning of April, and while she's on the mend and doing better, it has been a difficult time. Hey Kids Comics was one of the distractions that helped me escape a rather bleak reality for a bit, and take my mind off what was going on. Beyond the support that both Andy and Michael gave me personally, I want to thank them for producing a show that helped me out in a time of need. Again, I want you to read this on the air, as I think your listeners deserve to know what a valuable service you provide well thank you Michael we do appreciate that we as with last week we send our love and consideration out to Rachel and hope she gets better soon so with that and with Chris's message at the beginning it's just a big hug fest this oh, week it is, isn't yeah. it oh big manly hugs how is it that we just sit here in our dining room talk about comics and have this impact on people we've just fixed the world dude oh yeah fixed the world through comics the world would be a better place if everyone read comics yep I honestly believe that because even uh, the most ardent Superman fan and the most ardent Superman hater would find a comic that they both liked. Mm-hmm. And the world would be a much better place. At least I think so. Anyway, take care, mate, continues Mike. I look forward to the Hellblazer and Civil War episodes. Regards, Mikey Mike B. <laughs> it's always nice to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, everyone who emailed in this week. Thanks again to Chris for sending me comics in the mail, because that's <laughs> always the best part of any day when you get free comics in the mail. Um, and if you're going through a really rough time and we've helped you, let us know. <laughs> More hugs. Yeah, let's have another hug episode. Yeah. Hug it out. <laughs> um, no, we're getting a bit too wishy-washy now, aren't we? We need to we need to do another war comic. We do. I think. Take its comics. Free tissues with every listener. And by pure segue brilliance, after the commercial break, Civil War will be right back. War comic, really? It's got war in the title. <laughs> what do you want? This is the All Father Odin, and you should be listening to Radio Free Asgard. No, no, that's just not going to work. Let's try this again. 
This is the evil Loki, and if you hate Thor as much as I do, you should be... Alright, let's just try one more thing. Jane Foster here, and you should be... Ah, risen! Alright, let's just keep this simple. Hello everybody, my name is Tom Harris, and I do a podcast called Radio Free Asgard, which airs every Thursday over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. We cover the adventures of Thor, Hercules, and more from ancient times all the way up into the present day. We read old comics and make fun of them. I do ridiculous voices and generally make an ass of myself. So if that sounds fun to you, you should come join us, the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin, over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. And we'll see you there. And we're back. Back to Civil War. Back to Civil War. Quite reluctantly. You wanted to do it, dude! I wanted to do it, and then I started reading it again. <laughs> you were the one who said it was good! I'm only doing this for you, and the listeners, who it, requested it! It was good, and then I started, and then you started insulting it, and then all of a sudden it's like a door opened in my mind. <laughs> so basically I started insulting it, and you sat there going, actually that's a good point. Actually that's a good point. Damn you, Dad! Well, you know, I did read it all again yesterday. All seven issues? Yeah. Because, yeah, right. well, you know, you can read it in about ten minutes. Pretty much. Um, without thinking about it, or, or, like, you know, focusing too much on it, it was quite enjoyable. Well, that's that's my note at the end of the episode, so mm-hmm. we'll we'll get there, but you essentially will. I agree with you. If you just sit down, or pick this up in the library, I want him to just blitz through it for mindless popcorn summer blockbuster entertainment it works quite well Mm. if you read this knowing these characters you're sat there going that doesn't make any sense so I suppose in one way it's the Michael Bay of comics isn't it yeah so anyway we'll get there so tell us all about the Civil War tie-ins that occurred in between issues 4 and 5 Michael well the tie-ins that I couldn't be asked mentioning last week (laughs) Starts with Civil War X Men Three, which involves some X Men stuff that doesn't really um, isn't really all that reliant on Civil War. Some X Men stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the things are happening. Good human beings don't like us. Why should we defend them if they don't like us? Cause we're good people. Was it an angst fest? It probably was. Right. Fantastic Four Five Forty focuses on the separation of Reed and Sue. Wolverine Forty Five had damage control be somewhat related to the Stanford disaster. Uh, Frontline 5 has Ben Urich quit his job and Speedball freed from prison. Amazing Spider-Man 535 focuses on on Spidey's escape. And I'll be focusing more on that in a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, In Cable and Deadpool 32, Cable and Deadpool fight. In Captain America 22, Agent 13, Cap's lady friend, tries to talk him into turning himself in before going to work for the Not Red Skull. After having lots of sex? Yes. Was that that issue? That they just that. had lots of sex? Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, in Young Avengers Runaways, the two teams fight for the cube. Is that not like Highlander? We fight for the prize! <laughs> we fight for each other's heads. <laughs> uh, Heroes for Hire 2 shows the Heroes for Hire hunt down <laughs> Captain America. I bet that Luke Cage was a hero for hire. Not anymore, he's not. Right, that. okay, fair enough. Uh, New Avengers 24 focuses on the Sentry's views of the war before he's whisked away by Tony Stark. 
Frontline 7 concludes the Ben Ulrich Sally Floyd stories. Civil War X-Men 4 shows the final fight between Bishop and the X-Men. Iron Man 13 focuses on Tony's views of the Registration Act. Uh, Miss Marvel 8, Miss Marvel hunts down an old friend that has gone rogue. Wolverine 47 as Wolverine fights S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Sentry. Captain America 23 sees the Winter Soldier steal S.H.I.E.L.D. equipment for Nick Fury. Young Avengers Runaways 4. The team stop fighting over the cube and go their separate ways. The Heroes for Hire in issue 3 find Cap but are betrayed by one of their own members. In New Avengers 25, Tony Stark is held hostage in his own armour and his own tower by someone he fired last week. They all sound riveting. The New Avengers stuff was actually quite good. Was it? Because like I said, they each focused on a different character each week and had a different artist somewhat. Right. Like one of the best ones was the, the issues 25. Right. Okay. Where the entire issue, Tony Stark's lying on his back because some guy he fired has created a device which shuts down his armour. So he can't get out of it? Yeah. So he needs to hold him hostage in his own armour. I will take your word for that then. But Civil War issue 5 is where we're up to now. Mm. Which sported only three covers. Wow. Mm. Um, the McNiven cover shows the battle-damaged robo-spaddy available from your local Toys R Us <laughs> being pursued by the Thunderbolts. There was a Michael Turner cover of the Punisher standing above Spidey in the sewers and a pencil variant of said cover. Uh, it's alright, isn't it? I still don't like McNiven's art. Do you not? No, Bullseye looks like he's, he's got cotton wool in his mouth. Do you know thing? It looks like he's, he's got his cheeks going, You're coming to me, and this... The wedding of my daughter. <laughs> and and Spider-Man looks terrible. And Venom looks like he's dislocated his jaw. I don't mind the Green Goblin too much. Green Goblin looks alright. Fair enough. See, I like McNiven's art, but there's bits where I don't like it as much. Right. Okay, fair enough. I think it's stiff. Yeah, it is. The Human Torch and the Invisible Woman barely escape S.H.I.E.L.D.'s hit squad, but as Sue turns invisible, the team switches to infrared. Outside of Stark Tower, Happy Hogan welcomes Nightshade and Stature, who just left Captain America's team, whilst inside Iron Man and Spidey fight. Spidey says he's leaving the Avengers, and that Mary Jane and Aunt May are far away where they're safe. He forces himself past Tony, who returns fire. In an attempt to escape, Spidey jumps for the window, but the reinforced glass stops him. A hit team rush in and open fire on him, shattering the glass and sending him flying out. Spidey runs for the sewers, pursued by the Thunderbolts, Jester and Jack-O-Lantern catch him and beat him, but are attacked from behind by a mysterious man wearing a skull. Any guesses who it could be? In disguise, Sue and Johnny storm head back to the safe house where the Resistance plan a raid on the Baxter building to steal plans for Tony's Phantom Zone prison, and Cap gives Hulkling a mission in Arizona. The Punisher kicks down the door with Spidey's arms and hands him over to the medics whilst volunteering for the raid on the Baxter building whilst Tigra sends the news to Tony Stark, who is sending Daredevil to the Phantom Zone prison. Time to leave them
didn't understand why Mariah, Mar- Maria Hill can override Tony, but he's not an agent of Shield yet, is he? Yeah. So that right, that answers. Just working for them. Yeah. So that answers my question. He only becomes director of Shield at the end of Civil War, doesn't he? Yeah. Right. So in my head, I was cocking that up slightly. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fight between Spidey and Tony seems a bit rushed in this when you're in Civil War I mean we jump in halfway through it and it just happens mm. it tells a bit why they're fighting but it's never expanded on in here it just happens and then there is the thing where we just needed something to go hilariously wrong because it's Mark Miller yeah when we pointed out last week didn't we there was the um, there was that ridiculous line of dialogue from Reed Richards where he said Hmm, <laughs> Peter Parker is acting suspiciously. And in fact, Peter was just talking to Mary Jane. Yeah. So that was ridiculously bad setup. So you're actually reliant on the fact here that you're reading another book, because you're obviously not going to get everything that you need from Civil War. But, see, I thought the fight with Spider-Man here was just wrong on so many levels. It was actually hard for me to know where to begin. So we'll start at the beginning, which is always a good place to begin. Um, the beginning of the fight was actually over in Amazing Spider-Man 535, so that may be why you were slightly confused as that it seemed abrupt. Oh, well, I've, fair, I've read the issues. I know, but just reading this, yeah. Peter does try to get out of the building without confronting Tony. So a fair play to Peter, he does try to avoid a confrontation. But Tony intercepts him as Iron Man, and the fight between the two of them goes down drastically differently in both Amazing Sp- in Amazing Spider-Man, sorry, from this. Now, I don't mind if we're shown events we previously didn't see, or even if we see events from a different angle that throw new light on the situation, but here we're supposed to be seeing the exact same event, yet it's depicted as not being the same at all. In Civil War, Spider-Man is depicted as a whiny crybaby who gets away from Iron Man purely by dumb luck and the stupidity of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who blast open a reinforced window that has prevented Spider-Man from escaping reinforced glass that is nowhere to be seen in Amazing Spider-Man 535 and then Spidey flees like a scared rabbit. In Amazing Spider-Man, the fight between Iron Man and Spidey spills out into the streets and Spider-Man outthinks Iron Man by having reprogrammed his Iron Spidey suit so Tony's safeguards don't work. So in Amazing Spider-Man, Peter gets away by using his brain. Mm. In this, he gets away by dumb luck and he runs away like a screaming child, doesn't he? Yeah. One of them is characterised properly, one isn't. Mm. I'll let you guess which one I think isn't. And let's not even get started on the fact that Civil War clearly takes place at night, whilst Amazing Spider-Man looks like it takes place in the daytime, or just towards the end of daytime becoming night, dusk. I think we can chart this up as to a win for Joe Michael Straczynski, who manages to characterise Spider-Man as both intelligent and funny, as opposed to Matt Miller, who manages neither, Mm. and ends up just making Spider-Man look like a, a, a tool, basically. However, it gets worse. Does it? It does indeed. Amazing Spider-Man 536 has established that Spider-Man escaped, and when we last see him, 
He ducks into the sewer system as Spidey, believes that even Tony won't figure out where he went, and even if he does, he won't risk a repulsor blast so close to gas pipes. Again, Straczynski showing Spider-Man using his brains to get out of the problem. In Civil War, Spider-Man is running scared, terrified like he's never done this before. He completely forgets he's got Spider-Sense. He doesn't ignore it. Mm. No, 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 no. Miller simply doesn't mention that he has it. Because if he does mention that he has it, the next part of his story doesn't work. Hmm. And then he lets an explosive get right next to him. No, he literally, in this issue of Civil War, he stands there and lets an explosive device get near him. Yeah. He just watches it come at him. Caught in the blast, Spider-Man is then set upon by B-list bad guys the Jester and Jack O'Lantern who proceed to kick the crap out of him. Now, to be fair, to play devil's advocate, Mark Miller does establish that having blown him up real good, Jack O'Lantern manages to gas Spider-Man so he's hallucinating. But then Spider-Man, quick-witted, a smart-ass joke for every occasion, Spider-Man whines, I only wanted to do the right thing. Did you know my girlfriend died of a broken neck? (laughs) What? Uh, Instead of fighting back Mm. by any means necessary, as Spider-Man has done against impossible odds on numerous occasions before, he sits there like a screaming little child and whines about Gwen to these two losers who shouldn't have been able to lay a finger on him in the first place. In what world does this make sense? I presume... Straczynski skipped this scene in Amazing Spider-Man because if he'd written it, it would have gone down a lot differently. Then the Punisher shows up and shoots them both in the head. Because if Miller is good at anything, just like Bendis, he's good at killing other people's characters. Mark Wade is currently writing Daredevil. Yeah. I bet real money Mark Wade could have written a fantastic jester story. B-list villain or not, you only have to look at what Gail Simone did with Catman. Yeah. To see what a good writer can do with a B-lister. Or what Roger Stern did with um, Cobra and Mr. Hyde in Amazing Spider-Man. To see what a good writer can do with a B-list villain. But no, no, no. These villains are B-list and far, far too uncool for Mark (laughs) fracking Miller. So let's just shoot him in the head and be done with it. They don't deserve a place on Miller. No, it's just... This is just... uh, It just doesn't care the mess that he leaves the Marvel Universe in after he's finished with it. All he cares about is what shocking thing can he do in this crossover. And it's just... No. 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 Not a fan. No. (laughs) Um, The foreshadowing of the Punisher in this scene was very, very, very blatant. Mm. We we did get the, um, the panel of the Screaming Skull, which was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we had Spidey's dialogue, uh, which was, You, the Skullhead guy. Now, I know we're supposed to know that it's the Punisher, but the way we find out is really on the nose. Um, yeah. I mean, I didn't mind too much that the Punisher wasn't revealed, but I did like him showing up at the end, carrying Spider-Man. But if Spider-Man had any ounce of brains, always written by a writer who knew that the character had brains, none of this would have happened. Hmm. I get that Jack O'Lantern's made him hallucinate, but my Spider-Man wouldn't have been dumb enough to fall for this in the first place. 
you know, he wears a full face mask, the guy's just heard a gas grenade at him, wouldn't Spider-Man hold his breath? Yeah. Or web up his mouth and nose so he doesn't breathe it? Or not be written by Miller. Or jump out of the way and kick the crap out of these two before they could lay a finger on him? You know what we should do after Civil War? What? Uh, Miller's Spider-Man run. Let's not. <laughs> um... Having Reed and Sue, it's not Reed and Sue, is it? It's Jonah. Sue and Johnny. Yeah. Having Johnny and Sue pretend to be husband and wife is exactly the kind of Mark Miller humour that I've come to expect from him. Yeah. After all, we've had a few gay jokes, now we've got a bit of incest. Yeah. You know, just to slide on the point that, you know, this that, is for kids, that kids. That bit was always the bit that weirded me out, actually. <laughs> and it's... Why... They make some spurious excuse that Nick Fury couldn't get his identities that weren't brother and sister. I'm pretty sure he could have. I'm pretty sure he could have if Mark Miller didn't want to make this crap joke. Mm. So, anyway, it's not a joke, is it? Jokes are funny. (laughs) Um, To complete the trifecta, Mark Miller has Tony Stark have a healthy obsession with his mother. Where did that come from? Um, This one line, and was completely forgotten about. Was it? Because I don't recall in my reading of Iron Man that Tony Stark was ever obsessed with his mum. No. His dad, in the films... I don't think his mum was ever mentioned, to be honest. His mum... But no, no, let's give him an, electri- an Oedip- Oedipus complex, isn't it? Yeah. Electric complex is when you're obsessed with your dad. So yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. Well done, Mark. Ticked all your boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, the full page shot of the Punisher carrying Spider-Man is labelled after Keown. Did oh. you get that? Was it Dave, Dale? Dale, Dale Keown, yeah, 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 I got who the artist was. Is it like was. after a, co- a cover or something? I don't, I couldn't, I didn't remember there being a cover that Dale Keown that looked like that. But maybe if anybody maybe knows, lovely listener, the splash page. Let us know because mm. we don't remember, or I couldn't find it when I was researching it. Um, Captain America's face on the next page I thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Brutally sodomized, which I wouldn't put past the Mark Miller comic. <laughs> yeah. I thought the art in this was pretty bad. Mm. It's functional. It started off well, but wasn't so good later on. Do you know what? This is going to sound really odd as a criticism. It looks like people in costumes cosplaying yeah. instead of looking like Captain America. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Do you know the Wasn't that your problem with one of the artists on uh, Avengers vs. X-Men? It looked like guys in costumes, yeah. not the real guys. Yeah, and I know that some people are going to be like, I don't understand. And I get that you don't... But it looks like cosplayers mm. in Captain America costumes. It doesn't look like... I imagine the real guy would look like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think I'm explaining that properly, but no, it doesn't. It doesn't look good. That panel's just hilarious. Yeah, but. it's just, it's just shocking. Spider-Man's got his Spider-Man. Captain America's got his mouth open and his eyes are bulging out of his sockets, like. <laughs> but one eye's bigger than the other. Yeah. It's... And one side of his mouth bigger than the other. Hmm. Yeah. Um, also, the little reveal of Tigra being a mole. Uh, might have been more of a surprise if we hadn't seen her fighting alongside Tony Stark in issue two. Did we? Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Talk about shooting your load. Um, once again, this this entire series is built on a false premise, and because it's built on a false premise, it's it doesn't hold up. The foundations are wonky. Um, the public were fed up of 16 year old kids blowing up buildings read says She-Hulk as she pops Daredevil into the paddy wagon yet a 16 year old kid didn't blow up a building Nitro who is neither a kid nor 16 year old nuked himself voluntarily and if we check Civil War again oh look no building in the vicinity there was Jesus this was awful 
Yeah. He probably did nuke a few buildings within they were right next the to area. Yeah, alright, okay. There was a building in the vicinity. I'll <laughs> yeah. give you that. It still doesn't excuse the fact that Nitro is not a child and not 16. No. But we've forgotten that Nitro oh, caused yeah, 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 this, yeah, yeah. haven't we? Yes. It wasn't Nitro, it was, it was Speedball. We're blaming this on the MTV generation of heroes that yeah. were created for this story to work. Mm. Shocking. Tell me some tie-ins, Mike. Uh, yes, there were tie-ins. Couldn't be asked. Going through the effort of a lot of them, but I did pull through. Uh, Iron Man 14 shows that Tony and Reed hacked into the Resistance communications. Frontline 8 focused on Namor's sleeper agents. Punisher War Journal 1 shows Punisher coming out of hiding and rescuing Spider. And Fantastic Four 541 has the thing go to France and team up with some French heroes. Which on the one hand made no sense. Okay. On the other, it was actually a funny issue. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually quite funny. Funny Civil War tie. Yeah, funny Civil War tie. And well, I got the feeling Straczynski wrote that, and I got the feeling he just wasn't taking it at all, <laughs> seriously. It was actually quite funny. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 536 took place around Civil War 5 and 6, some of which I already discussed in my rant above. Still written by JMS, drawn by Ron Garney and Bill Reinhold. Spider-Man and Iron Man get into it, Spidey gets away. He stashes MJ and May in the gym at Midtown High School, and MJ susses out that he's signed up with the Resistance. May applauds this decision, presumably because she recalls that Peter unmasking in the first place is partially her fault, and they refuse to flee themselves, electing to stand with Peter. Peter has a weird dream sequence where he talks to a 16-year-old Peter who looks nowhere near as mature as the Peter Parker we remember from the Lee Ditko issues, despite only a few issues ago it being mentioned that he was Spider-Man from the age of 15. May gives Peter his red and blues back, then he goes on live TV again, denouncing the Registration Act and Iron Man. It's all very talky, although the dialogue is at least interesting and in character, unlike the main series. Listening to that, it does kind of seem like a very contradictory to Civil War. Yeah, it is. It's the same basic premise. It's been the whole decision to unmask himself bit. Mm. Oh yeah, let's unmask ourselves. Oh, it's great. Oh no, it's all our fault. Oh, it's miserable. Yeah, well that was the thing in Amazing Spider-Man as well. It was May and Murray Jane who encouraged him to do it. And then when he goes, I think I've made a mistake, May and Murray Jane are all like, yeah, yeah, you made a terrible mistake, (laughs) Peter. And you're like, thanks, girls. Uh, after that came Captain America 24, uh, which shows that Nick Fury can neutralise the hit team's armour, but Tony Stark is working on uh, making it so he can't. Uh, Moon Knight 7 has nothing to do with Civil War at all, other than Spider-Man's in it, and Captain America shows up. <laughs> uh, Wolverine 48 is about Wolverine fighting Lazare, Lazare over whether he actually dies or not after a plane crash in the previous issue. Fair news. On to Civil War 6, which once again has three covers. Uh, the first, the McNiven one, is a cover of the Resistance charging towards slightly away from us. Uh, and a Turner cover of Namor posing with Sue behind him and a pencil variant. Uh, the McNiven ones are awful. They're just posing in ways that are just in no way realistic. Cosplaying I'm, poses. Yeah, and pretty much every one of them's got the gob open like the catching flies. <laughs> Like, oh! It's, no, no. Come on, guys, breath no. test. <laughs> Can you walk in a straight line and touch your nose? <laughs> no. The resistance alcohol testing. Yeah. So, like the AA. Are you too drunk to go into this big fight? <laughs> well, we can't have that. Can you shoot your arrows in a straight line? Oh, dear God. 
Um, Tell us what happened in it. In a base in Arizona, Maria Hill is overseeing the training of the new initiative teams. Tony and Reed discuss the final battle between the two teams, and that the president has given them 12 immunities so that Sue and Johnny won't face arrest. Meanwhile, the Punisher infiltrates the Baxter building and sends Cap all the information on Tony's Phantom Zone prison. In Atlantis, Sue tries to persuade Namor into assisting them in the raid on the prison, but he refuses. The Resistance discusses the raid on the prison, as two villains walk in and say they'll help before they're gunned down by the Punisher. Cap jumps in him and beats him, but the Punisher refuses to fight back. Cap turns away and tells someone to kick him out. That night, the Resistance raid the prison and are confronted by the entire initiative. The two teams reveal their moles on either side, and Hulkling, disguised as Hank Pym, opens all the cell doors freeing more members of the Resistance, which evens the odds for the fight. To the, the scene where Tony and Reed are talking, the, the the shot of Iron Man stood in front of the flag is a little blatant, don't you think? Oh, because Iron Man's in the right. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. But by the fact that Iron Man's in the right, he's actually in the wrong, and we should be on the side of the resistance. <laughs> Do you not know this? Has Miller not made his point clear? Of course, yes. Um, I don't actually mind him being stood in front of the American flag. Oh, it's a pretty cool pose, yeah. but in context... Yeah, in the context of this storyline, it's very much saying that Iron Man is in the right, and look what he represents, because he's wrong. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's... Yeah, you're right, it does... You know, it's not, it's not a glorious shot of the hero in front of the American flag in the way that Superman carrying the flag back to the White House was at the end of Superman 2. Mm. Or even that shot in Spider-Man, where he just kind of hovers for a second in front of it and then webs off. It's not that kind of, yeah, shot, is it? Mm. It is very much a case of, look what Iron Man's representing here. But is it all that good? Yeah, and it's you're right, it's on the nose. And mm. it's, it's as subtle as, as everything else that Mark Miller's written in this. Because, let's be honest... He's not portraying Iron Man as being on the right side, is he? No. In everything like the law, he's saying Iron Man's on the right side. Mm-hmm. But as far as the readers are concerned, he's skewing it every way he can to make us be on Captain America's side. Yes. Which isn't right. Mm. If you're going to do a site with both sides, you need to show both sides being uh, they think they're right. And I don't think he did a good enough job with that. Which is why the tie-ins might have been better than the main series. Uh, yeah, because the tie-ins are only concentrated on one specific thing, I mm. suppose. Um, the Punisher casually assassinates the supervillains who sign up for Cap's team, pointing out that they are thieves and murderers, which was actually nicely ironic, and arguably the first genuinely piece of subtle writing Miller has pulled off in this seven-issue series, given that the Punisher had just been on a thieving mission for Cap, and has put down his first share of criminals in the past. He doesn't. Yeah. He's not normally bothered about opening fire on them, is he? However, it did strike me as incredibly stupid they would open fire in a room full of people, some of whom aren't bulletproof, to take out a couple of C-listers. Mm. 
Frank Castle is a pragmatist, and he would probably have seen their value and not just opened fire on them indiscriminately. Plus, Castle has always been rather choosy about who he does kill. Very rarely has he killed thieves just for the heck of it. Rather, he's always had more of an interest in organised crime, as they were responsible for the death of his family. Also, the people Castle does put down tend to be the scum of the earth so we still feel a measure of sympathy for the Punisher. So whilst the line was subtle, Miller's actual characterisation of the Punisher is well off base, and this scene exists solely for Captain America to punch the Punisher in the face. Yeah, doesn't it? But I'll be honest, in if you're reading this as a blockbuster, I actually enjoyed this scene because it did make me chuckle quite a bit. Yeah, well, when he says they were bad guys, Cap, thieves and killers, but... They came in in peace. Yeah. You don't shoot your own people. Mm. So, they, essentially, they'd surrendered. Yeah. So, are they saying here that the Punisher is, is like a Nazi? Just oh. kill him. But then the, the, the criminal's point was like, hey, you know, you heroes aren't the only people going to be arrested. Let's fight for freedom so we can still be bad people. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Although the, the artwork of uh, the Punisher's face at the bottom there is a bit crap, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, I suppose we should. And then Cap proceeds to beat the crap out of him with his shield. Which was pretty cool. But did the Nazi not just feel wrong? Well, Where he's just punching the crap out of him and he's refusing to fight back. And he's saying, fight you coward. The Punisher is insane. And it just it didn't feel very Captain America to me. But I, I like the characterisation of the Punisher. I like I that the Punisher how he wouldn't fight back. Yes, because of what Cap represents. And Spidey is right, you know, like Cap is probably the reason why Punisher went to Vietnam. I, yeah, I think possibly. So I liked that the Punisher wouldn't fight against him because of what Captain America represents. Mm. But at the same time, Captain America beating the crap out of someone who is not fighting back doesn't seem a very Cap thing to do. Oh yeah, Cap's like Mal Reynolds. If he is going to kill you, you'll both be uh, aiming your guns at each other yeah. and facing each other. Yeah, Cap won't stab you in the back, he'll shoot you in the front. Mm. If, well, he wouldn't shoot you, but he'd probably... He'd still put you down if he had to. Yeah. But he wouldn't do it like this. And I don't even buy that it's all his pent-up frustration. Mm. I just felt this was here for the sole point of having Cap beat upon the Punisher. I didn't... No, it didn't feel very Captain America to me. I get what you're saying, and I agree with you, that the reason the Punisher didn't fight back, but it still felt a bit wrong. Um, The chronology of this one seems off base as well. The entire issue seems a bit strange. In Amazing Spider-Man 536, May Parker gives Peter his red and blues back, and Peter promptly goes on TV and denounces the Registration Act, something Cap should have done ages ago. But that's not mentioned here at all. No. But he's got his red and blue costume back. Yeah. So the implication is this is after that issue. Surely that would have been mentioned somewhere. Maybe. But, you know, Mark Miller obviously had far too much story to tell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That he he wanted to move on. Um, Still, this issue works about as well as any of the others have. uh, And it leads into the big finale. That splash page, though. It's a pretty fine splash page if you're looking at it. But then if you look at it, read Richards in particular... Yeah, the final page of the issue is... It's not the final page, sorry. It's nearly the final page. You get a full splash page of Iron Man's shows up, ready for the big final battle. Mm. And it's... It looks fine, but if you concentrate on the funny faces... Everything just looks off. And the faces are stiff and And then you think about it. If they all did jump the resistance, then why is Tony Stark standing... Standing 
in front of the rest of them. Who are running. Yeah. Why are they not running past him? Yeah. It's No, it makes no sense. It's crap. Tell us about some more tie-ins, uh, Some more tie-ins. Uh, well, Frontline issue 9 shows Atlantis changing their minds about the war, which will lead into the next issue. Punisher War Journal 2 is about Cap trying to contain the Punisher and recruit him. Oh, yeah, you know, because Captain America wanted the Punisher on his team. That's how it went down. In Punisher War Journal 2? Yeah. That's not how it went down at all in Civil War, no, is it? It's, it's nice that it's not just a Spider-Man boot that flatly contradicts this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Black Panther 23 shows Black Panther joining Cap's team despite Wakanda not wanting him to. Civil War... Wa- Black Panther didn't join the team in no, Civil War. He does. He comes in later on. Yeah, in the last issue. Yeah, of well, his own violation. Yeah, the Black Wakanda didn't want him to, though. He was like, oh, I suppose I'd better help you. Yeah, but in this, it's not... It's nothing to do with Captain America. In Civil War, he just shows up and says, yeah, I don't agree with what just happened, I'm going to come and help anywhere. Yeah. Captain America's nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. So does, is that another tie-in that doesn't tie in? Well, I didn't, I didn't say it was anything to do with Captain America, he said he joins Cap's team. Oh, I thought you said Captain America went and got Black Panther to join up. No. Right, okay, fair news. Um... Civil War War Crimes is about Tony Stark and the Kingpin making a deal. Doesn't go down very well, though. Kingpin stabbed him in the back. Oh, really? And he couldn't see that coming, could he not? Oh, no, no, no. Jeez. Iron Man Captain America shows the two attempt to talk to each other before ultimately fighting and walking away. Moon Knight 8 has Cap telling Moon Knight to stay out of his way during the final fight. Uh, Winter Soldier Winter Kills follows the Winter Soldier team up for the Young Avengers to take down the Hydra base after Nick Fury tells them to. Frontline 10 reveals that Tony Stark had something to do with the Stanford disaster. <laughs> uh, Amazing Spider-Man 537 also seems to be sandwiched in between Civil War 5 and 6 and centres upon Peter making contact with Cap's group and the concern that Peter is in some way, perhaps inadvertently, a setup. Cap gets to quote Mark Twain and discuss what it means to be a patriot in a rather eloquent speech that sets out Cap's stall far better than anything Civil War itself has managed. And a prostitute sells Peter out to the kingpin who orders a hit on Peter and or his family. And a sniper approaches them and plants a warning device on their door, which is huge but appears to go unnoticed. Again, it's all very padded out, with an entire page devoted to somebody climbing some stairs. But the character moments are strong, and Spider-Man has some funny lines. Uh, following that was Fantastic Four 542, which focuses on the torn apart Fantastic Four family. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was then followed by Civil War 7, which once again had three covers. The main one by McNiven shows a battle damage Captain America and Tony Stark fighting, whilst the other heroes lie around them, fallen. Or asleep. Or asleep. And the Michael Turner cover is essentially the same. Yeah, it's just a big fight scene, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Captain America's not quite as battle-damaged. No. And not a bad cover, though. No, and has another pencil variant. See, once again, your pencils look better than the finished image. Yeah. In this particular case. Yeah, alright, it's, it's it's a bit more dynamic than the Steve McNiven one. Oh, gee. Because, um, oh, I quite like Michael. My only problem with Michael Turner is he draws skinny, women too skinny. Yeah. But maybe that's just the kind of woman he liked. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. The two teams start fighting whilst S.H.I.E.L.D. shut down the doorway back to Rikers Island, but Dagger and Black Panther stop them. 
Maria Hill notices this and overrides them, but Black Panther remembers that there's another doorway elsewhere, and before the other door can close, Cloak teleports everyone out into the outside of the Baxter building. They all crash down and continue to fight. Before Cap can be taken down by the Thunderbolts, Namor arrives with an army of Atlanteans to back him up. In a retaliation to this, the clone of Thor is unleashed, but is taken down by Hercules as the Thing shows up. Cap takes down Tony and before he can deliver the final blow is taken down by civilians. Cap then realises the amount of damage they've caused to the surrounding area and that they're no longer fighting for the people. Cap then unmasks himself and hands him into the police as Steve Rogers. Civil War, Tony Stark is appointed Director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and goes ahead with the 50 State Initiative. The New Avengers go into hiding, Spidey changes to his black outfit, and Reed and Sue get back together. Oh, and the Punisher becomes Captain America. No, really. Has <laughs> that really happened? It is, yeah. Uh, right, well, before we go into the, the what we really think about this one, I do just want to point out that the Invisible Woman gets her costume ripped in exactly the same way Dazzler did, i.e. over her ass. <laughs> So we, we find out that Sue Storm obviously goes commander in a Fantastic Four outfit. Yep. <sighs> Dear God. Um, right, let me get this straight. Let's just make sure I understood this properly. Okay, okay. Cap's whole bit is based upon letting heroes carry on as normal and proving the Registration Act is wrong. And his way of doing that is to let Cloak teleport a bunch of fighting mad super types from the civilian safe negative zone entryway where no one would get hurt to the streets of New York where they all drop from the sky into the middle of a busy Manhattan street causing tons of collateral damage. 
All fairness, that mm-hmm. wasn't Captain America, that was Black Panther. What was Bla- why why was it Black Panther? Because Black Panther gives Cloak the coordinates to teleport to. And none of them suddenly realise, wait a minute, we're in the middle of downtown Manhattan here, this is going to go horribly wrong. Tony Stark does, because he tells S.H.I.E.L.D. to get everyone out there, but not Captain America. So Captain America just carries on fighting yes. in the middle of Manhattan. Tony Stark thinks about the people. I don't buy that either. Mm. Why did he not like transplant them to Wakanda or the Savage Land or the blue area of the moon? That would have been awesome. Because then uh, the ending doesn't work. Oh, right, yeah, how stupid of them. <laughs> if the, so if the Black Panther had transported them to somewhere sensible, yeah. the ending wouldn't work. No. Right. And Captain America wouldn't come to his senses. Right. Yeah. So this fight wouldn't have happened because they could have fought without causing civilian casualties and then Cap, yeah, Cap wouldn't have gone, oh, wait a minute, we're doing something stupid here. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Guys, turns out I'm not a master strategist. Uh, am I the only one who felt that Spider-Man's joke was uh, pretty blatant? Which but, one? Eh, but... You know, the one where... The amazing, one where he goes, amazing, spectacular. spectacular. I expected him to follow it up with Web Off. <laughs> Marvel Team Up. Um, so I always like it when they do that, but... It felt a bit crappy. Well, sometimes, yeah, it, just, it did just feel like they did it for the sake of doing that. And then it felt even wrong for Spider-Man to kick Reed Richards in the face. You yeah. know, Reed Richards, the guy who's helped him out loads of times in the past. Well, that's the whole point of the story, isn't it? Friend versus friend. Yeah. But it, I never... I never buy that they get to the point where they would fight each other like this. And enjoy fighting each other like yeah, this. Yeah, it's one of them, I never I never bought into the reasons that they gave, so that means the whole story doesn't work then. If you're not buying into both sides of this argument, then it's not which working. is what you should be doing, the whole point of this story should be you shouldn't be coming down on either side. You may have an opinion and go, well, actually, Iron Man's right, or actually, Captain America's right, but the writer, the writer, sorry, not us, shouldn't be coming down on a side. Yeah. The writer should be presenting both sides equally and fairly, and the reader should decide which side of the argument he would fall on. Well, compare but, it to um, Avengers vs. X-Men, which is essentially a retelling of Civil War. Yeah, only more fun, because at least Avengers vs. X-Men was just a slugfest. And that moral ambiguity worked. Yeah. Whereas this doesn't even work on a slugfest level because there's not enough fight scenes in it for it to be a slugfest. Yeah. And when there are fight scenes, they're just handled badly. Mm. And, and I don't hate being negative. <laughs> I don't want to be negative. I really don't. But we covered Civil War. Well, you know. Um, I, didn't, I didn't get that Captain America, of all people, needed Namor to save his ass. Yeah. Now, I know Namor's awesome and everything, but Cap doesn't need anybody to save him. Well, let's exp- expand on that. Why is Cap being taken down by the Thunderbolts? Because he's been written badly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is that not the explanation for everything in this story? I guess, yeah. Yeah, see, Captain there are America two got... things about Captain America, right? He's got an indented chin for one of them. Well, one, he's a master strategist, something the film did an incredibly good job of showing. Yeah. Two... He's arguably the best hand-to-hand combator in the Marvel Universe. Right. Right? You wouldn't get that from any of this. No. He doesn't think that having a big fight like this in the middle of downtown Manhattan is in any way a mistake. Oh, no. And he gets his head handed to him by the Thunderbolts. Yep. Really? That's not Captain America. Yeah, Spidey gets taken down by uh, Jack-O-Lantern. And Jester. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God's sake. Um... 
Just you and me again, Cap. Hope I don't have to put you through the same pain. God, Iron Man's a huge jerk in this story. Yep. How did he recover from this character assassination? Uh, they forgot about it. <laughs> Is that true? Essentially, the more you read into it, say around, see, I'd say Secret Invasion mm. is when there is a definite stop to the aftermath of Civil War. What, they just stop referring to it? And no, They still refer to it, but that's more when things started changing back. Right. Okay. Is Tony Stark still head of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Not anymore. Has that gone away? Yeah, as of Secret Invasion. Right. Okay, see, I've never read Secret Invasion. You have, though. You keep saying that. I have no memory of reading Secret Invasion. Because when you were following the, the, the Mighty World of Marvel comics, or the British... Uh, yeah. Yeah. And they were doing the Civil War tie-ins, Secret Invasion tie-ins. And you said, uh, Michael, don't you have uh, Secret Invasion? I said, yeah, okay, we'll read it. I have no memory of it, which either means it was very, very good, or I didn't actually get around to reading it. I think it's much better than Civil War. Is it? It's, I think it's good, yeah. All right, fair enough. I'll, I may read that one. Um, the Invisible Woman taking out Taskmaster is incredibly cool. Oh, yeah. I'll give him that. She gets really pissed off that Reed Richards has just been hit by Taskmaster's gun because he was shooting at Sue and Reed dives in the way to stop it. And yeah, essentially... Reed started taking notes of his wife. Yeah, that took him long enough. <laughs> she mays a huge invisible bubble and just crushes him under it. Yep. Which is absolutely fantastic. Sue Richards is often underrepresented in these things. But she's proved time and time again what a formidable opponent she is when she's annoyed. Mm. And that was really good. Like Fair play to that. Woman with yeah. superpowers. Fair play to him. That was that was good. Likewise, the full page splash of Hercules destroying Claw, <laughs> the clone cyborg of Thor, was fantastic. Mm. He just smashes its face with Mjolnir, doesn't he? And I love his line, how darest thou were the flesh of Odin, sir. I knew Thor. Thor was a friend of mine. And you know something, imposter? Thou art no Thor! As he just smashes his head to a thousand little pieces. That was good. Yeah. More of that, <laughs> I'd have probably liked the issue a lot more. Um, suddenly Captain America just stops fighting when a bunch of civilians grab a hold of Captain America and we emphasise yeah. the replacement of firemen though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what Miller does. It's not just a normal guy. Policemen and firemen grab a hold of Captain America to stop him fighting. And suddenly this wonderful strategic plan of teleporting all the combatants to the middle of Midtown Manhattan backfires. Who saw that coming? Oh wait a minute, we did. Black Panther Black Panther set him up. You're right, Black yeah, Panther's yes. really working for Tony. He's working for Tony Stark and was thinking, how can that I... That would have been a good twist. It would have, actually. That actually would have been a good twist ending, yeah. Uh, but Cap's realisation is so rushed and completely void of any emotion. Yeah, it's... The right. We're not fighting for the people anymore, Falcon. Look at us. We're just fighting. As he starts crying. And, it's, and then pulls his mask off. And they're not arresting Captain America. They're arresting Steve Rogers... And it's... No. It's just bad, isn't it? It's... I want to say it's bad. It's... Well, okay, it is bad. It's just wrong. Wasn't this supposed to end with Cap being shot? Yeah. Wasn't that the original ending of Civil War 7? Yes. So maybe that's why the ending doesn't work. Because mm. it would have been better. Yes. 
And it may have actually given Civil War an ending. Yeah. Which it doesn't have. Because I thought this was a really feeble ending. Captain America gives up because of the destruction his well-thought-out plan has caused. Uh, this was... It was just terrible. And everyone else stops fighting as well. Yeah. Just because Cap stops, everyone stops. Yeah, so, well, we'll, we'll all just stop then. The Thunderbolts just standing up Yeah, the Thunderbolts don't take advantage of the fact that all the heroes are just stood around now gawking no. and not doing anything interesting. Biting Johnny Storm's head off. Yeah, it's... The art... I've not mentioned the art too much as we go through it because it was just so terribly bland and I couldn't muster up any enthusiasm fact as the enthusiasm for it. I just thought it was stiff and boring. I don't know what McNiven made his name on, but if he's now considered a superstar artist, I give up. Um, I, 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 I like it. In, it is very stiff, but it's very technical at the same time. I mean, like, the, 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 just the panel of Taskmaster, Taskmaster lying on the floor is pretty cool, just because you can see the, the, the lines where his boots go over his legs, or you can see his cape go over the floor. Yeah, I he's, like... He's a very technical artist, like the, the panel of Thor's brain matter. Well, he's a cyborg, isn't he? So it's it's only like... It only looks like the inside of a Borg. Yeah. But it is... That is a good... That's what I'm saying. If there'd been more of that... Mm. I may have enjoyed this more. If it had just embraced the fact that it was just a mindless summer blockbuster... As opposed to having this this subtext that it was supposed to have, but that, it was only there if you were looking for. Only it. there if you were looking for it. Yeah, that told me which side I should be rooting for. Yeah. that's not subtext. Um, the real problem here is the story just seems ill conceived, like it was thought of and then scribbled on the back of a cigarette wrapper at the bar one drunken night. The premise is flawed, as I've mentioned. But even ignoring that. The characters are so stupid in this story, it beggars belief. Captain America is a supreme military strategist and probably the best unarmed combat artist the Marvel Universe has. Yet his big plan here gets bollocksed up. They're teleported into the middle of New York for the final fight. How in any way does fighting here accomplish his goals? In fact, what were Cap's goals here? What was the point of this? Um, so Freedom? Well, no... But so he beats Captain, he beats Iron Man and his followers. Then what? The act has still been passed. He won't have won anything. Cap's real battleground here was in the courts and in Congress. And had he used his brains and pursued that route, even saying, I disagree with this act, so I'm going to run for Congress, I'm sure he could have accomplished a lot more. But it seems that everybody was just written so badly in this series from the awful Spider-Man scenes to Tony Stark twirling his moustache like a 40s movie serial bad guy to the bad guys being sanctioned by Stark to operate above the law and make no mistake that is what the Thunderbolts are doing yeah it's in the halcyon days of 2007 the political subtext was probably potent if painfully obvious but removed from its torn from today's headlines context the story is forced to stand on its own feet and it doesn't it fails as an action series because the action scenes are too few and far between they're stiff when they happen and woefully out of character it fails as a narrative because it fails to deliver a satisfactory conclusion to its own story and it fails as an enjoyable romp because it's trying oh so hard to be relevant it's so very weak on every conceivable level and the death knell for me as far as I was concerned of Marvel crossovers other than the ones we've covered for this show I avoided every one of them after this because this was the epitome 
epitome of idea storytelling over dramatic storytelling. It was yeah. cack. With a few nice bits. <laughs> but most of it was cack. Um, do you not have anything to say about it after my spirited eulogy? No, that, that covered everything really. It was all rushed. There was nothing to it. Yeah, the pacing was wrong, wasn't it? Mm. The pacing was off, the characters were off. It too padded until something important happened and then you rushed over the important bits. Plus the fact that important bits didn't happen in this series, they happened in the tie-ins and they happened completely differently. Yeah. It's... No, I just... I'm sorry I didn't like it. Yeah, that it. is right. The important bits happen around it. Like yeah. Like Spider-Man and Captain America. The important bits happen in other books. Yeah. But if you're buying an expensive graphic novel, I'd like a full story, please. Mm. Um, Amazing Spider-Man 238 takes place in Civil War 7, but is notable for featuring a Murray Jane that is on the run and has neither cut nor dyed her hair and yet keeps standing looking out of the window looking through the curtains. Mm. Which, if you've ever watched any crime TV shows, you know is a big no-no. Yep. You don't do that. Uh, with the Battle of Civil War raging, the Kingpin orders MJ and Aunt May shot dead, whatever the outcome, and we get pages, literally, of the sniper watching them. And two pages, one's a splash, of the sniper taking a nap. This is riveting comics right here, folks. Peter's spider sense completely fails to go off again when the silent alarm planted by the sniper last issue goes off. But when his spider sense does finally kick in, as the sniper takes aim, Peter takes the time to casually look out of the window for a minute instead of, you know, pushing his family to safety. The resultant effect on this is that May Parker takes a bullet to the stomach. Uh, then in Fantastic Four 543, uh, Black Panther and Storm join the FF, which will lead them to replacing Reed and Sue. Black Panther 24 is about the fall of the Wakandan Embassy. Uh, in Blade issue 5, Blade fights Wolverine. Moon Knight issue 10 is Moon Knight vs. the Punisher. And in Frontline 11, Ben Urich and Sally Floyd interview the arrested Steve Rogers. And Oh, was that the worst issue of anything ever? Don't like, they interrogate Captain America and say something like, um, do you know all about Facebook and Blackberries and the iPhone? And Captain America just sits there stupefied instead of saying, oh yeah, I don't know anything about Facebook or an iPhone because I'm all the same in the goddamn world! It could be, I've just not read it. <coughs> If that is that issue, you don't want to read it. It's worse than, you know, the Green Lantern you're always taking the mick out of? Oh, yeah. What have you done for me lately? Well, they only serve the entire <laughs> planet. It's the same as that, only ten times more insulting. Because, you know, Captain America would be really concerned he didn't understand Facebook when he's just stopped Hydra from nuking Washington, D.C. Or he did that and then uh, posted it on Facebook. <laughs> Do what Captain America has just stopped terrorists nuking Washington, D.C. Hawkeye <laughs> likes this. <Yeah. laughs> it's like posting pictures of him, like, punching Hydra. <laughs> punching Hydra people in the face. Hey, Hydra scum. Here, can you take a picture of me punching this other Hydra scum? <laughs> now, that would have been funny. <laughs> I would have liked that. Uh, Civil War Battle Damage Report is essentially a complete summary of the Civil War aftermath, and there was another tie-in issue, which I forgot the name of, I wasn't on the list I was going off, where Iron Man talks to Captain America after he'd been arrested. Fair enough. Uh, Wrapping it up tonight. 
uh, is Captain America 25. Uh, what I'd say is the true conclusion to Civil War? Pretty much, given that this should have happened in Civil War 7, but was it Ed Brubacker or Tom Brevoort who argued that such an important event should happen in Cap's own book? No, I don't. One of them said that 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 shouldn't happen in Civil War, that should happen in Cap's book. The resultant effect was, while I don't disagree with them, it gutted the ending of Civil War. Which, let's be honest, didn't have an ending anywhere. No. This, this story exists purely to set up the Marvel Universe status quo for the next couple of years, even though it failed at that. But then, flip side of that, uh, when Bucky got killed off, yeah. it was not in Captain America's own no. book, but was in uh, Fear Itself. Yeah, which was stupid. Yeah. Because I was only reading Captain America, not Fear Itself, and I was like, well, that's Bucky gone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Captain America 25 had four covers. A Steve Epting cover of Cap's hand lying on a newspaper reading Death of the Dream. An Ed McGuinness cover of Cap running towards us. A John Cassidy cover of Cap saluting. And a Steve Epting cover which reprints the Death of Captain America splash page inside. For some reason, I've got the Ed McGuinness variant. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I never ask for variant covers. Maybe they just gave it you anyway. Maybe they did. The Death of the Dream Part 1 was written by Ed Brubacker with art by Steve Epting, lettered by Joe Carmagna. Magna. Carmagnum. Carmagnum. Any excuse for the Magnum theme? Excellent. Coloured by Frank Darmata and edited by Tom Bravot. Crowds gather outside the federal courthouse in Manhattan where Captain America will give a live hearing rather than a military tribunal. Sharon Carter, in the crowd, speaks to Nick Fury about not allowing Steve to be arrested. Nick tells Bucky the Winter Soldier to keep an eye on her as police bring in Cap. On the way to the courthouse, Cap sees a red dot sight on the officer ahead of him and sees the sniper in hiding in the building behind him. He jumps in the way and takes the bullet. Sharon runs to Cap and someone shoots him again in the back as Bucky and the Falcon rush to the sniper's location. Fury tells Bucky the sniper's location and the Falcon takes him there as Steve is taken away by an ambulance. Falcon and Bucky reach the helicopter, crossbones is in, and pulls him out. Bucky takes him down and takes off as the cape killers arrive, and Sin, the daughter of the Red Skull, enters the hospital Cap's being taken to in disguise. In the hospital, as Captain America dies, Sharon stands in the toilets as Sin enters and tells her a code word from Dr. Faustus that makes her remember shooting Cap on the steps of the federal courthouse. Oh dear. Um, Did you not like this either? I don't. I didn't really know what to think about this one, to be honest with you. It is an epilogue to Civil War, and it uses the events of that series to spin calf off, calf, cap off into its next lengthy story arc. But in all honesty, I'm divorced from the hype, and obviously now we know how it all turned out, this felt like a damp squib. Now, you know, I'm a huge fan of Ed Brubacker. I've just read all 16 issues of Fatal in the past mm. couple of weeks. I think Brubacker's a fantastic writer. His Catwoman run with Darwin Cook is brilliant. Gotham Central's a great comic. And but, Captain America was great. And I, I remember Captain America being great. Yeah, certainly when it started off, yeah. I think the Winter Soldier stuff went on too long. When he became Captain America. Yeah, and then towards the end, I got the feeling he was running out of steam. The Sharon Carter stuff was... T- way too long yeah the Sharon Carter stuff was way too long but the I thought reading this for this I thought this was rather boring mm. consisting mainly of flashbacks to World War 2 and featuring the rather muddy art stylings of Steve Epting although it may be the colouring 
to be fair to Steve acting. But again, it's the first part of a new story rather than the ending of Civil War, a series that didn't actually end. Cap's sacrifice is noble, but rather anticlimactic, and there are no clues given here at all to the ultimate conclusion, which sadly was overshadowed by the fact that Grant Morrison's Batman story has exactly the same plot twist. Okay. The bullet through time thing, isn't it? Is that the same? Final Crisis. Is it? Yeah. Captain America ends up bouncing through time, doesn't he? In Cap Man Out of Time? The no, Man Cap Man Out of Time is the Mark Wade miniseries that's actually really good. Yeah. Captain America Reborn. Was that him bouncing through? I thought that was him bouncing through mental scenarios. I'd have to read it again. I remember him bouncing through. Oh, did they change it because it was too similar to what Morrison had done with Batman? Well, Morrison wasn't doing that at the time. I think it was more or less simultaneous. I thought Reborn was before Return of Bruce Wayne. I can't remember. I'd say like two years or so. Before. I remember them being vaguely similar. Yeah. So it's similar enough, anyway. The final shot of this page as well, of Cap's dead body. Looking at us. With the eye still open, looking at us. It's just... I don't know, I don't want to say it's distasteful. They're certainly telling us he's dead. Well, yeah, <laughs> and then he wasn't. Yeah. So that's how much stock we put in this. Uh, I, I, maybe maybe my enjoyment of Cap 25 was overshadowed by the fact that Civil War didn't end. Mm. And, therefore and then you realise that the ending didn't end. The ending didn't end, so it wasn't very satisfying. Um, Civil War has the distinction, along with Nightfall, Death and Return of Superman, No Man's Land and Joss Whedon's X-Men run, of being adapted into a novel and later a graphic audio adaptation. I have neither read nor listened to either, but I know a man who has. Hey everybody, Michael Bailey of Views from the Longbox, from Crisis to Crisis, Comics Monthly Monday, Back to the Bins, and other podcasting endeavors here at the request of Michael and Andy Leyland to do a kind of compare and contrast between Civil War, the comic book, and Civil War, the novel. Back in, I believe, 2011, 2010, somewhere around there, they released a novelization of Civil War written by Stuart Moore. In 2013, Graphic Audio did a full cast uh, production of that novel. And what Graphic Audio pretty much does is read the book, uh, but in a very dramatic uh, format, with a narrator and actors playing the characters and music and sound effects... And I've been a fan of theirs since about 2007 or so when I picked up their Infinite Crisis um, adaptation. And they have spent the last couple of years developing quite the catalog of DC productions and have recently gotten the Marvel license with Civil War being their initial release. So that is actually what I'm going to be talking about. But I kind of feel like I have read the book since they do such a close adaptation of the material. Uh, sometimes they abridge scenes, so if they have, I really don't know, because, you know, as I said, I haven't read the book. But beyond that, that's what I'm going to be talking about. Uh, I, I'd like to say right off the bat that I, I'm kind of conflicted on Civil War, because I think it's a really horrible idea that had some very bad execution, but there were some moments within the original comics and the crossovers that I liked quite a bit. Uh, but as a whole, I just, you know... If you're going to use it as a way to completely redefine the Marvel Universe and launch a bunch of other storylines, you know, that lead into the Initiative, that lead into Secret Invasion, 
that lead into Dark Reign, that lead into Siege, that lead into the Heroic Age, then on that level it was a success. As a story, it has many, many problems. Unfortunately, the novel really doesn't fix any of these. To be fair, at the very beginning, it does a better job of setting up the concept than I think the comic did. Uh, but, but that makes sense, because Stuart Moore had more time to sit there and think about it and put it into another format. I mean, you're, you're, you're translating words and pictures into just words. So it pretty much starts the way Civil War starts, with you know the, the new warriors getting nuked by Nitro, and that leading to a call for a superhero registration act and pitting Iron Man against Captain America. One of the biggest differences right off is that outside of being there at the very beginning of the story, you don't see Speedball again for the rest of the novel. Uh, from, from what I got of the novel, unless they cut it out for the sake of the production, he died and that was it. So a lot of the stuff that was in Frontline, uh, which, is a com- which is a comic that I was very up and down on uh, in general, uh, it just isn't there. And frankly, I think it serves the story better. Have the new warriors die and just move on and deal with the main characters involved. Um, most of the crossovers that were uh, developed for the series, uh, for the event, are not there. Uh, the X Men are completely absent, uh, except for a few mentions. You hear Wolverine, uh, you know, at the Stanford site, but then the X Men are pretty much gone from the story. You really don't get any of Ms. Marvel's story uh, or any of the other characters that uh, that were affected by what was going on with the Superhero Registration Act. The novel focuses mainly on Iron Man and Captain America. And to that end... And Spider-Man. And to that end, I think it does a pretty good job of, you know, fleshing out those characters' stories. And, and, and kind of, until the very end, making all sides very compelling. Iron Man is not the Iron Man... Iron Man in this novel is not the Iron Man of the comic book. Iron Man in this novel is very much the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man. In fact, the backstory they kind of give him seems to be this very odd mix of what was going on in the comics, but at the same time, you know, referencing moments from the first Iron Man film. There is a press conference uh, that where Tony is announcing certain parts of what his plan is and where Spider-Man reveals his identity... Uh, that references the press conference from the very end of the first Iron Man film. This makes a lot of sense uh, in many ways. At first I was a little irked by it, but then when I started thinking about it, I realized, hey, the people reading this novel are not necessarily going to be fans of the comic book. They're going to be fans of the films seeing, hey, a book about Marvel characters. So including that, making the Iron Man in this a lot more like the Iron Man from the films... Uh, up to a certain point makes a lot of sense and I think you know it, it, it didn't hurt the story uh, it was a little annoying like I said at first but you know especially when they included the, the the reporter character that Tony slept with at the beginning of the first film and then was kind of there throughout the course of the, the, the rest of the movie uh, but you know it's just like you know of all the things to complain about it's very low on the list uh, in fact uh, Tony is pretty compelling throughout the course of the story until the very end where everything falls apart same with captain america you really see captain america's side a lot clearer in this production 
that I think uh, came across in the comic. But then again, Stuart Moore and the people at Graphic Audio had more time to develop their stories. You know, it, you know, you only have you know, comic books are an economy of time management, uh, which is a terrible term, but I think I, I hope it comes across the way I want it to. They are telling a story in pictures and words, and your mind is filling in a lot of the blanks. Whereas with a novel and with a audio production, the actors and the writers have a lot more time to fill in those blanks for you. So, you know, they, they, they kind of go crazy at the end, especially Iron Man, who turns from somebody I was kind of on the side of to somebody that I was just like, wow, I don't like you at all. Which is, I pretty much didn't like him from the very beginning in the comic book. In fact, the, the really, between the comic and the novel, the only character that I, that I hated in both was Maria Hill. And Maria Hill and S.H.I.E.L.D. in general are portrayed as the real villains of the novel, in my opinion. They're the ones that seem to relish going after the heroes that have opted not to go to register. And to that, it was a little bit of a turnoff, because I don't know if Moore did that to make Tony Stark a little more heroic through the course of the book, or if that was just his perception of who they were. Regardless, Maria Hill still remains to be, outside of the Avengers movie, one of my least favorite characters in the Marvel Universe. The biggest difference in the book and the in the the book and the movie the book and the novel is Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man in all honesty was the main reason I was interested in Civil War in the first place. I started reading the book during the other storyline because Peter David was coming back to reading a, to writing a Spider-Man book and I wanted to be a part of that, but I kept on with Amazing after that and found that I rather liked what JMS was doing with the character. I really liked the dynamic between Peter and Tony, which is like the only really good thing about Spider-Man joining the Avengers, in my opinion, was you got to have that moment in Peter's life where he had a mentor and almost father figure, and I think JMS wrote that the best. JMS set up Civil War better than anybody in both The Amazing Spider-Man and in The Fantastic Four. Uh, where I, you know, I really enjoyed both of those books. And Spider-Man, to be very honest, was my favorite part of Civil War as a comic book, especially the crossover issues, where I think, uh, you know, Peter really got a chance to shine as a character, and I was just more moved by that than Peter in the main book. The most controversial element of the novelization from the scuttlebutt that I read online was in the novel it is very much going from the pre-brand new day stuff into the post-brand new day stuff. The Peter in this novel never married Mary Jane. So all of the stuff of him living at Avengers Tower and having Mary Jane and Aunt May live with him at Avengers Tower and Jarvis being involved with... Um, with Jarvis and all that is completely eliminated from the book. And I think that kind of hurts the story. Uh, Stuart does some interesting things with it. There's a, there's a really great scene where Peter goes to tell Aunt May that he's Spider-Man and she reveals that she already knows. I think JMS handled that better within the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. But it was a nice scene nevertheless. And 
really and truly the, the Aunt May Peter scenes in this production and in the novel uh, I was rather taken with. When it came to bringing Mary Jane into the story, because you had to explain somehow how is Peter going to get Aunt May out of the situation, he goes to Mary Jane to ask her to hide Aunt May. And when you send your wife off with your mother figure and you're legally married to the woman and you're both very much in love, and it makes sense that she would want to protect her. When you're basically calling your ex-girlfriend to say, hey, would you give me a hand here and totally uproot your life, uh, you know, in a relationship that, from a relationship that failed and, and hide my aunt for me because I'm about to go against the most powerful superhero on the planet right now. Not powerful as in terms of raw power, but power as in terms of influence. You know, it, it just, it didn't feel right to me. And it made for some very awkward scenes, in my opinion. Uh, it also made for some very awkward scenes when Tigra was kind of coming on to him in the first mission, which in text reads very salacious, but the way it was presented in the, in the, in the, in the audio production, uh, actually, actually came off kind of endearing, uh, as Tiger as a character. Overall, I would recommend listening to this, uh, even if you haven't read the comic or if you are interested in the comic because of what Andy and Michael have discussed on this show. And I'm sure they have done a very bang-up job of it because they're both very, very talented podcasters. Uh, I, I have to say that I actually kind of, uh, with the exception of how Spider-Man was handled, enjoyed the novelization and the graphic audio production of the novelization, I guess I should say, more. But that's only because I think it handled certain elements that Mark Miller and his lack of subtlety didn't handle in the main book. But that's pretty much it for me. I really appreciate Andy and Mike uh, giving me the floor for about 10 to 12 minutes. And I give you back to your hosts. Oh, thank you very much, Michael. So now we know the difference. Mm -hmm. uh, the legacy of Civil War lasted ooh, a whole nine months, <laughs> as far as Spider-Man was concerned, anyway. Back in Black, in which Peter hunted down and beat the Kingpin with an inch of his life for ordering the hit, was a good two or three-parter, stretched out for five issues. And then we had one more day for four months, in which Murray Jane made a deal with Mephisto to sacrifice their marriage to save May at the altar of Joe Quisada, essentially retconning over 20 years of Spider-Man, so that they were never married... Wait a minute, married? When did that happen? You know, I, I, I have to say I do like one moment in time. Or one more day. There is no accounting for taste. The wider Marvel <laughs> Universe was... Well, after this, uh, Tony Stark did have his 50 State Initiative and a new book was launched um, called The Mighty Avengers by Brian Bendis. Whilst he also wrote uh, New Avengers, which was about the underground Avengers team. Uh, the stories in that would be, um, ah, we're underground, we're in hiding. Oh no, Tony Stark, I'm Tony Stark, you're all being arrested. Ah, let's run away. Ah, curses. They're gone into hiding again. Sounds Which fun. happened every single issue for a few years up until Secret Invasion. Right. Okay. So it was still, um, everything that was set out in Civil War lasted until Secret Invasion, until... Tony Stark failed because the scrolls infiltrated his armor, shut it down, made him useless, and then Norman Osborn, yes, Norman Osborn, was appointed ruler of the world. Norman Gwen Stacy Shagger Osborn. Norman, I leaked this information from Deadpool, which was only explained in Deadpool's own story, not the actual main story, so you can just forget all about it, yeah. and shot the Queen Scroll in the head 
in front of national television and was appointed head of Shield. Fair enough. Which uh, led to Tony Stark um, making it so that the database, including the names of all the registered superheroes, would shut down if anyone looked at them and then upload into his brain. Right. And so Norman Osborn does so. But it doesn't get any information. No, right. because it all goes to Tony Stark. Uh, Captain America has the Winter Soldier, a.k.a. Bucky, take over being Captain America. Against all odds, this proved incredibly popular, and when Steve Rogers did return in Captain America Reborn, were either bounced through time or mind jumped <laughs> through time, we can't remember, um, Brubacher was asked to extend the story and keep Bucky as Captain America. Mm-hmm. and extend it longer than it should have done. The resulting effect of this was the story lost its way. And I don't think Brubacher's run ever recovered from the editorial mandate that Bucky is successful. Keep doing Bucky. Yeah. Because it was Brubacher's plan to put Steve Rogers back in the Captain America suit once he was back and not make him Steve Rogers' agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Super Soldier. Super Soldier of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah. So Civil War essentially copped up Brubacher's run. Or, alternatively, Brubacher did such a good job with Bucky as Captain America... That he messed up his own That he messed up his own story. Either way, editorial mandate was Bucky stays as Cap, and Brubacher ended up paddling, treading water for a bit, before he eventually killed Bucky, and then brought him back again. Mm. Death. Not the obstacle it once was. Captain America, not the story it once was. No. So... Uh, So that was Civil War. We hope you enjoyed it. More than we did. Uh, no, that's not fair, is it? No. Lots of people wanted us to do it. We've done it. I didn't dislike doing it. Now it's out of the way. Now it's out of the way. As I've said, if you sit down and just read this as a mindless blockbuster Michael Bay movie, it's, it has enjoyable moments. Yeah. If you're sat down and reading this actually as a fan, there are so many. there's too many things to pull it apart. I'm not the biggest fan of Mark Miller's writing in the world. I think this epitomises everything that I don't like about him. Mm-hmm. That was just unfortunate. So after this unintentional negativity, next week, we're going positive all the way, babe. You're going to be so fed up of us being glowingly positive next week, you're going to think it's a sugar fest. (laughs) As I cover Spider-Man Blue... And Michael just tagged along for the ride on that one. I like Spider-Man Blue. I know you do, but I've You will a, be talking about that one. Yeah, because I've done a ton of research for that one. With all your Spider-Man. Yeah, it was, it was nice to have a couple of weeks off doing research-intensive shows hmm. after Happy Birthday Superman. But um, for Spider-Man Blue, I have pulled out all the stops. Yeah. I've even been comparing panels. Have you? Yeah. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed doing it. So hopefully you will join us next week for that, where it will be much more of a love fest. Yeah. We're all going to have man hugs again, <laughs> I think. Don't we? So thank you very much for joining us. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Looking down on the cars on the highway Stream of taillights Everybody advancing together To so willingly sacrifice rights When people accept their cops in the system Give up Well
Struggling with the truth of the lie. 